Today's our final message, <clears throat> excuse me, in this sermon series called The Pursuit. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad because I'm tired of having my toes stepped on. Seems like every week as I was preparing these messages, boy, I just saw myself and I would just sometimes fall on my face and repent and say, Lord, let me be the son that you want me to be. Let me be the child that I be. Let me give you honor, the honor that you deserve. And so anyway, today's the final message. And, and if you've been here, you know that we've been studying in Luke chapter 15. And the chapter begins with Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and, and sinners. And when the Pharisees see Jesus eating with, with these people, they criticize him out of the self-righteousness in their, in their heart. Well, obviously, Jesus didn't have a problem hanging out with what the Pharisees thought were society's outcasts. And so, so he tells these three parables in rebuttal to, to their accusations, the accusations the Pharisees are making about him. I'm sure most of you are familiar with these. The first one is a parable about the shepherd who leaves his flock of 99 and frantically searches for the one lost sheep. Next, he tells the story of a woman who lost a coin and searches to find it. And at the end of both of these stories, there was rejoicing and celebration when that which was lost was found. And then Jesus tells the story of the lost son. This young man who was chafing under the authority of his father and demanded that the father give him his portion of the family estate so he could get on with living his own life the way that he wanted to. And so the father gave the son what he wanted, but the kid winds up wasting everything he had with wild and reckless living. And so he ends up having to go to work feeding pigs. And in the slop and in the manure of the pig pen, the Bible says he comes to himself and he remembers how the servants of his father are cared for better than he is living in this pigsty. So the young son decides to come back home. But on his way home, the father sees him and goes running to the son and embraces him. And the father puts a new robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and the father welcomes him back into the family. The son just wants to, wants to be a servant, but the father's love is so great that he reinstates him as a legitimate son. And then there's great celebration. Now, the older brother who was out in the field, hears the festivities, and when he finds out that his father has accepted his brother back to the table, he's furious. And the father, hearing about the anger of his older brother, leaves the festivities and goes out to plead with the older brother to come in. And the older brother says to his father, I've never done anything wrong, but you've never thrown me a party, and yet you've killed the fattened calf for this lover of prostitutes. And in verse 32, the father pleads with the older son to, to get past his self-righteousness. And the father says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And so we see that this is a story about the grace of God whose loving arms will certainly embrace a morally impure but it's also a story about how far God has to reach sometimes to save even the most religious of us all. 
And so in this examination of Luke chapter 15, we have seen how God views sin and how he views spiritual lostness. Because the younger brother obviously is lost because of his moral depravity. But we see the religious elder brother who had always obeyed his father, we see that he was just as lost. Not because of being bad, but because of the motive of his goodness. He didn't obey his father because he loved the father. He obeyed the father because he thought being morally pure was a prerequisite of getting the father's stuff. And so the elder brother attempted, like many of us, to become our own savior by trusting in our own ability to be good rather than simply trusting in God's ability to save. And so as we've discussed this these few weeks, Today, I, I want to look at what do I need to do to escape the shackles or the bondage of my particular brand or label or type of lostness? You see, because whether I'm lost because of undeniable sin or whether I'm lost and have hidden my lostness behind the religious shroud of serving God out of fear and duty, how do I become reconciled with the Father so I can serve Him with joy and genuine devotion? Well, first of all, we have to understand that God initiated His love for us. And it's called provenient grace. It's the grace that is happening in your life long before you ever call upon Jesus to be your Savior. And we see in the parable that the Father initiates a dialogue with both of His sons. The younger, morally bankrupt son we see that when he comes home, there's no condemnation by the father. Instead, in verse 20, the father sees him while he's a long way off. And the father runs, and when he gets close enough to see the pig manure in the young man's matted hair, he doesn't stop running. When he gets close enough to see the stain upon what was once a royal robe, the father doesn't quit. When he gets close enough to smell the stench of the pigsty, the father doesn't stop running. He looks beyond all of that and celebrates with compassion that his son who was lost has now come home and the father throws his arms around his dirty neck. And the Bible says he loves him. He runs and he embraces him and he kisses him despite the manure, despite the stench. And listen to this, before the younger son could ever repent. You see, the confession of the boy isn't what made God run to him. God ran to him before he ever repented. And so it's not repentance that causes the father's love. It's the father's extravagant love that brings genuine repentance and remorse from the son. It's a prevenient grace of God. You didn't find God. God found you. God was lovingly and tenderly moving on your heart. I mean, you have your own free will, you have your own choice, but God loves you so much that he put events, he put circumstances, he put people in your life so that when you came to that place on your own knowledge, then you would choose to serve him with all of your heart. And that's why 1 John 4, 19 says we loved him because he first loved us. God loved us long before we ever repented. 
But we also see that the father also pleads with the older brother that refused to go into the celebration. Now, when Jesus is telling this story, he knows that the Pharisees will eventually be the ones who set his crucifixion in motion. And so you would think that he would, he would tell a clever story to condemn their self-righteous hearts. But he doesn't. And we see him as a father going out into the yard pleading with the elder brother's religious superiority to come into the table and find the grace of God at the feast. And it shows the heart of the Heavenly Father. It says that God is not self-righteous about self-righteousness, and neither should we be. God loves the wild, living, immoral people, but He also loves the hard, religious people as well. And so it doesn't matter where you are this morning. The Father is pleading to you to accept His grace. So there's the initiating process of the love of God that happens long before we love Him. And it's only because He loved us first. But there's something else we need to understand to get rid of our shackles or chains this morning. And that is a deep level of true, true biblical repentance. You see, repentance has to go deeper than than the simple regret over my individual sins. The younger brother returned with a long laundry list of sins that he needed to repent for. But you see, the list is only the symptomatic evidence of the deeper plague that had affected his human heart. To only repent of the sin list misses a deeper issue of true heart transformation. Repentance is not just sorrow over our list of sins. It's not just being sorry because we got caught. Because if repentance is only sorrow over the list, then now, I mean, what about the elder brothers? Because elder brothers would be able to say, if repentance is only a list, then I'm okay because I don't have any sins on my list because I'm morally good, I've done everything right, I've checked off all the religious boxes. And so if repentance is mere confession of a list of sins, what about the corruptness of the human heart? You see, both younger brothers and elder brothers need more than just sorrow over a list of wrongdoings. We need a transformation of our heart. And we need to see beyond the surface of repentance and get to the core of our sin. We have to see that our list of sins is simply the overflow of our selfish heart. Now, of course, we have to repent of our wrongdoings. Certainly, we need to cry out to God to forgive us, but we need to go deeper than that and beg God to transform our heart. And that's what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And so in other words, it's not just repenting over a list. It's a transformation of our heart. And we see two different types of repentance in the Bible. First, we have David, a man after God's own heart. David fell into sin, committed adultery and murder. But when you see David's heart coming back to God, he has genuine remorse over his sin and he understands the deeper elements of the wickedness of his heart. He says in Psalm 51, 
God against you, you only have I sinned. And then down a little bit further in verse 10, David cries out for the transformation of his heart when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, David knows true repentance is more than just a list. But we see a different kind of repentance in the life of Judas Iscariot. Judas betrayed Jesus. And Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 says that he was full, that Judas was full of remorse. But you see, Judas doesn't cry for forgiveness to change his heart. You see, because the Bible says Judas was full of remorse when he saw that Jesus was condemned. He was remorseful because of what he had done, that he had been caught, when he saw the consequences of the sin that he had committed. You see, there's a stark difference between the genuine repentance of David to transform his heart and the repentance on the surface of what Judas did. So no matter which brother we are, we miss the mark when we just repent of a list of sins because God wants to come in and transform our heart and give us a new heart. And so if that's the case, then that begs the question, what must I do to be saved then? Well, of course we have to repent of the things we've done wrong. But if that's all you do, you could very well still be an elder brother. To truly become a follower of Christ, we need to repent of the reasons we did anything wrong, which is because we have a selfish heart and we want what we want. The Pharisees only repented of their list of sins to stay in good standing with God in an attempt to to control him for their own benefit. If I'm good enough, that means he'll have to grant my Christmas wish list. But you see, reconciliation with the Father comes from repentance for the very roots of our sins. In other words, what are the motives of your heart? Why do you pray? Why do you give? Why do you fast? Why are you in church this morning? Why do you live a moral life? Is it because in the back of your mind that's a prerequisite of getting what you need out of God? Or is it an act of devotion of love that flows from a heart that has been transformed from the inside out? And so we must learn how to repent of the sin beneath all of our other sins. And that sin under all of our other sins is self-reliance is trusting in our own ability to be good enough rather than trusting in God's ability to save us in other words it's simply us attempting to be our own savior and lord see when you realize that the antidote to being bad is not just being good you're getting it see you may not understand this but you don't fix being bad by simply being good You see, because when Jesus came to earth to die on a cross, he didn't come just so he could put his righteous robe over our dirty hearts so we could walk around as hypocrites with religious lives, but yet unchanged hearts. Jesus came to this earth to make men's hearts new so that our external lives would be the outflow of the internal transformation that happened when he came in and changed and gave us a new heart. The true gospel of repentance is not only running from the wickedness of the human heart, but it's running to the one who will make that heart new again. 
So we've been talking about what we need to lose our sinful shackles, but now the question is, who do we need? All three of the parables Jesus told in Luke 15 have a common thread. Something is lost, and when it's found, there is great celebration. The shepherd loses a sheep, the woman loses a coin, the father loses his son. And so when the people heard about the shepherd who leaves at 99 to go get his lost sheep, and they heard about the woman who turned her house upside down to find the lost coin, well, while they're listening to the story of the lost son, the expectation is that someone is going to go search for the lost kid. But no one does. So, so those listening had to wonder, why didn't anyone go look for the son? You have to understand now, in this culture, the older son would have received two-thirds of the father's estate, while the younger son received one-third. And the reason the elder brother received a double portion of the estate is because it was his responsibility moving forward to sustain the family unity, to keep the family together, and to maintain its place in the community. And so, the elder brother in this parable should have said, Dear father, my younger brother has been an idiot. But I am going to go look for him and bring him home. And if he has blown his inheritance, which I'm sure he has, being the idiot that he is, I will pay to bring him back. But we know that's not what happened. And the reason the, that, that that brother was not a true elder brother, as we're going to see, is because what it cost to bring his little brother home. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard people say that salvation is free. And when you look on the surface of this parable... You see the kid squandering everything on reckless living, and it doesn't end up costing him a penny. Because he comes back home, and the father lavishes love on him, and he's welcomed back into the family. I mean, great deal for him. But to think that salvation is free is a mistake, because the reconciliation of the, dark, the, reconciliation of the darkened heart of man is only free to younger brothers. It's very costly to someone else. We see the older brother is furious when his kid brother comes back. And he says to his dad in verse 29, You never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends, but you've killed the fattened calf for him. And the father says to the elder brother, But son, I didn't throw you a party because all that I have has always been yours. And we see that this is true because if the younger son got one-third and went off and blew it, well, the remaining two-thirds of everything the father had belonged to the elder brother. So when the father threw a feast, guess, who, guess whose account that came out of? When the father bought a new robe and a new ring, guess who bought it? When the father slaughtered the fat cow, guess who provided it? And get this. When the father told the young son, I'm not going to just let you be a slave, but I'm going to reinstate you back into the family, guess what? 
Now two-thirds has to be split again when the father does die. So in our self-righteous, sanctimonious, carnal self, maybe we can understand why the older brother was furious. It hit him where things bother us the most sometimes, in our pocketbook. And he was more concerned about his inheritance than he was the safety of his younger brother. You see, because elder brothers want it to be all about them, and they have lost the mission of why Jesus left glory to come in search and pursuit of the lost. So it's a mistake to read this parable and say that salvation is free. Salvation is free, but only to younger brothers. It costs the elder brother tremendously. And it is extremely expensive. And so we see, this el- we see the elder brother in this parable being the Pharisees and the younger brother, the tax collectors and sinners. And then we see the father, representing the heavenly father, having to deal with the self-righteous elder brother. But the good news is, we don't. We don't have to deal with a self-righteous elder brother. You see, because we have a true elder brother. A brother who, if we go astray, won't hold it against us. An elder brother who will seek us out and bring us back when we wander off. Edmund Clowney tells the story of an American soldier who had come home from Vietnam, but, but his younger brother was still over in the jungles. And his family tried to, to do everything they could through official channels to find out the fate of the young son. But they couldn't get any word. And so the older brother gets on a plane and flies back to Vietnam, and with his life in great danger, he searches through the jungles and the battlefields for his kid brother. You see, that's the kind of brother the man in the parable should have been. And that is the kind of brother that you and I have. The kind of elder brother who wouldn't just go into a far country, but who would come all the way down from heaven to find us. Who wouldn't just open up his wallet for us, but would pour out his life for us. One who wouldn't just pay a finite cost, but would pay the infinite debt to bring us back into God's family. And we do have that kind of elder brother, because that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. You see, the father said to the eldest son, everything I have is yours. And that is literally true of Jesus Christ. Jesus was equal in glory with the father, but according to Philippians 2, 7, he emptied himself of that glory and took upon himself the form of humanity. That is the story of Christmas, that God was willing to give it all up for us. How do you get the Father's robe? It's because Jesus was stripped naked of his on the cross. How do we get into the feast? It's because Jesus took the cup of wrath so I could partake of his cup of joy. Jesus is the true elder brother. That's why Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. 
That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call him his brothers and sisters. Jesus came to this earth and he obeyed every command of his father. And he truly had the right to all the father owns, but instead he came and searched for us. And he found us in the pigsty of sin. And despite all the junk and baggage that we carry in our life, Jesus puts us on his shoulder and he carries us all the way home, singing over us with joy. He gave us a robe, his robe. He gave us a ring, his ring. He gave us a place at the table, a place right beside him. And it was all at his own expense. And Romans chapter 8, 17 says, we are co-heirs with Christ. We get to share it all with him. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're here today and you would classify yourself like the younger brother in the story. You're lost. Well, if that's so, listen to me today. The true elder brother is looking past your sin. He's looking past the fact that you've squandered opportunities. He's looking past all of that, and he's pleading with you to come to the table. Not after you get clean, just like you are. And the same God has left the feast to plead with the religious who have been good, but have been good for the wrong reasons. Because underneath all of our external righteousness, there can be impure motives and sometimes even sinful hearts. And like he did with the elder brother, he's pleading with us to get over our critical spirits and our bitter hearts and our self-righteous natures and come back to the table. To the spot that we cannot earn on our own but to the spot that was given to us by the grace of God. You see, when younger brothers and elder brothers get a glimpse of the selfless love of God for us as revealed in Luke chapter 15, we'll repent of our list of sins, but I want you to know that glimpse of God's love and sacrifice will change our hearts from the inside out. God is pleading with you today. And he's pleading with me today. And his love doesn't start when you get up and come to the altar. It doesn't start when you open your mouth to confess because God loved you long before today. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, while we were still stuck in the muck and the mire of the pig pen, Jesus came to this earth and died for us. And when you choose to accept him, he'll pull off that old sin-stained robe and he'll put his robe on you. He'll put his ring on your finger, and he will make you a member of his family. The true elder brother. 
I can't think of any better news than that. So we're going to close out this series on God's pursuit of the lost by coming to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the piece of bread symbolizes the broken body of Jesus. And the cup symbolizes his shed blood for us. And in connotation to, to this series, the Lord's Supper can symbolize the meal in the parable that the father threw for the two sons. And it's a celebration feast because the repentant lost son came home. But then certainly it also symbolizes the day when we will be with Christ at his table throughout eternity. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do it in remembrance of him, the one who allowed his body to be broken, and the one who shed his blood and died for us. Today, today, the Father is calling you to the table. It doesn't matter if you sit at the younger brother's side or the older brother's side. There's a place at the table for every person here today. Would you bow your heads with me all over this room? In Luke chapter 15, for Jesus to sit down and eat with the tax collectors and sinners meant that he accepted them. Well, I want you to know Jesus accepts you today. Now you may say, but Mike, I have all this junk in my life. I have a stained robe. I've got things in my life that are sins that, that, that I know aren't pleasing to him. He knows that. He's well aware of what's going on in your life. And he's inviting you to the table just as you are. He's inviting you to trust him. You don't have to be perfect to come to his table or none of us would qualify. You just have to be repentant. For those who have been, those, for those who have been in church a long time, I pray that all of us will find our way back to the table and recommit our heart back to God. Today, God wants to change our hearts and make them new again. And he will if we'll trust Jesus with our life. So I'd like to ask if everyone, sinner and saint alike, if you would sincerely repeat this prayer with me out loud. Heavenly Father, I come to you a sinner. I know I need your forgiveness. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again on the third day. I believe with all my heart that you are coming back for me. 
Lord, I turn my back on the sins of my past. Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. I am saved. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a praise clap. Well, those who are going to serve the elements, please come and begin to distribute them, begin to pass, pass them out. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you are fully qualified to enjoy the benefits of communion. There's no waiting period. If you are sincere in that prayer, you are welcome God's table and he's inviting you now when you receive your elements if you would go ahead and open them but hold on to them and we will we'll take them all together but go ahead if you would when you receive them open them God is inviting us all to sit with him at his table today
serve that would like to be served. If you have need of healing in your body today, you have need for God's touch on your life, would you stand right where you are? need the Lord to do something physical for you. we celebrate the shed blood and broken body of our Lord and Savior. The promise of God's word is by his stripes we are healed. By the stripes he bore on his back we are healed. Not we're going to be, not we might, we are healed healed. And so in just a moment, when we take the elements, when we take the bread to signify his broken body, release your faith. Release your faith. If the faith of a mustard seed will move a mountain, A mustard seed of faith can certainly fix whatever is wrong with you. It can heal you down at the core of what your need is. That's what the Bible says. And so what that means is that the key is, what is that mustard seed size of faith? See, the problem is we've, had, we've listened to too many doctor's reports. We've watched too much evening news. We've bombarded our minds with the negativity of our society today, and we forgot that God is the God who created everything, that God is the God who holds us in the palm of his hand, that God is the God who set everything in motion, who turned the axis of this whole creation, and he is also still in control today. And that includes what's going on in your life. So the mustard seed of faith is you tuning out what Satan and what this world have been trying to program your mind with and to focus in on the God of heaven. The God of heaven who knew you before you were ever born, who loved you before you were ever created. Who took the time to write down in your book every day of your existence. You see, the Lord knew that you would be here today. That you would be standing in this service, getting ready to receive communion. And the Lord wants you to appropriate that mustard seed of faith. on your own behalf. And so as we take the elements, 
Let your faith explode. Let your faith explode to receive what God has just for you. Heavenly Father, as we share in your shed blood and your broken body, Lord, we release our faith and receive the powerful anointing of your healing and ministering touch as it spreads across this room. Satan, I come against you and I bind you in the name of Jesus. I bind you in the name of Jesus as we are getting ready to partake in the broken blood, in the broken body of Jesus. That you would do your worst to remind every person here who is standing in need of healing of the doctor's reports they have heard, of the prognosis they have received, of the negativity they are bombarded with. We bind you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would flow freely through this room. And you would open our minds and open our hearts to receive the truth of our Heavenly Father, of what He meant for us, that what is good, that what is wholesome, that what is pure, to come across our minds and flood our hearts and to help our faith explode. In Jesus' name we pray. Would everyone else stand in the room as we come to the Lord's table? The Word of God says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may take the bread and release your faith for your body's needs. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Holy Spirit, flow through this place. Lord, let the healing touch of the shed blood of Jesus minister in each person who's here today. In the same way, Jesus took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may take the cup. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take a minute and praise him. Take a minute and praise him. Take several minutes and praise him. For he is worthy he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. Nothing else, nothing else deserves the praise that our Father deserves. Praise Him like He deserves it. Maybe not like you're feeling like it. Praise Him like He deserves it today. Praise Him for, life, for the God that He is. Praise Him for the God that He is in your life, for what He's delivered you from, for what He's protected you from. Praise Him today. Lord, we praise You. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for your healing touch. Father, we believe that there will be testimonies come from this service today of your miraculous power.